What a week it has been. The common thread in most articles one would read or interviews people gave was that there's a collective sigh of relief. We saw celebrations and chanting in the streets. And this celebration, it has not sat well with me. Now, the national reaction to the George Floyd murder, it was not just about one man, but rather the culmination of so many videos and incidents of Black lives being snuffed out by bad police. And I want to be clear, this is about bad policing. I want to be clear that most police are not bad. The mass majority, they go into this line of duty because that is what it is. It's the duty. It's not a job. It's the duty to serve. I've talked to San Francisco Police Department officers in this past year in private. And the pain that they have gone through because of people like Derek Chauvin, this, this has been a year of pain. And what Chauvin did, which was caught in raw, painful video, it tore at our nation. But the celebration and the relief that met this conviction, it made sense on one hand. I mean, I remember when I was a young teen and Rodney King was beaten on video and the police, they were not convicted. It felt as if they were above the law. But now my kids are in their early teens and they see a police officer murdering a man and he is convicted. That is a change in something worth celebrating. And I was happy that there was accountability. I was relieved that there were not riots in the street, but there is a line that has been circulating that there has been accountability, but there has not been justice. This is why the jubilation, as if it was over, it made me uncomfortable because there was something fundamentally missing. In all of this trial, I feel as if the larger truth has been forgotten because our sole focus has been on an individual and not the system. An individual, thank God, was held accountable. But is the system capable of ensuring justice? Now, before I go any further, I want you to think for a moment and to think about the narrative that comes to you about the George Floyd case. What memory do you have? What happened? What was the atrocity? And then ask yourself, is your memory accurate? Now, I'm a rabbi, so I see things with a Jewish lens. I can't help it. It's my bias. Judaism is based in memory and text. And using text, it makes sure we are tied to the original memory. Because time passes, humans change the story. It's how our brains are wired. John Lehrer, the popular neuroscience writer, he reported on some scientific findings regarding the reconsolidation theory of memory retrieval, which argues that every time a memory is recalled, the brain needs to recreate, recreate the memory, just as it did when the memory was originally formed. Now, this theory is counter to every theory that has come before since the time of the ancient Greeks. People have imagined memories to be a stable form of information that persists reliably. 
almost like when we take a digital picture and we pull up the JPEG five years later, the ones and the zeros, they translate into a perfect picture that recreates that moment pixel for pixel. For thousands of years, the theory has been that once a memory is formed, it'll stay the same. This is why we trust our recollections and memories. When we think back to our experience as kids or growing up in our homes, and we may talk about these memories and these recollections with families, with friends, or in therapy. And, may, and we may spend year after year recounting that one persistent memory that is so vivid, it feels as if we're back in that moment. And at first glance, as a Jew, I find this research unsettling because we're people who are deeply entrenched in our own narrative and our communal memory. But how accurate is our narrative and our memory if the research shows that when we remember, we are not tapping the past, but we are recreating the present? Now, the rabbis knew how our brains worked and the fact that our individual memories were not accurate. No, they didn't know that all of our memories begin as a changed set of connections among the cells in one's brains. And if you're able to remember a moment or this moment, or this sentence where you're sitting right now, it's because of a network of neurons that has been altered, woven together in an electrical fabric. They had no idea about the science. But what they did know is that left to our own devices, we would recreate the past to have it reflect our present. They compensated for this by creating a system for us to communally recall our past through the annual public recitation of the Torah. When we read the Torah, there are very strict rules on how we read it. First, when a person is chanting, there is always at least one Gabbai next to them, double-checking their reading with a set of vowels to make sure that the story the reader is saying is 100% accurate to how it occurs in the text. Secondly, anytime a person speaks off the cuff or adds commentary or shares something else that they wrote, we are required to roll the Torah closed place the cover on top of it, and then the person speaks. So as not to give the impression that the person's words are the words of the Torah, but rather her own words. So every Shabbat morning, when we recreate that communal memory based on our narrative, we, and by we, I mean Jews all over the world, are trying to have the same experience. That does not mean that we do not add new interpretations and understandings of the texts. That's encouraged. But we want to be sure that we make a delineation between what actually happened in the Torah and our individually created commentary on what happened in the Torah. So what is the truth? What is the text of what happened to George Floyd? And why is that so important? Because if you really wanna make radical change, you need the entire story. You need the text. Now, we all know that Chauvin kneeled on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes, even after he had murdered him. But that's only part of the story. Chauvin is a murderer. But to think that this is only about him means that we are going to miss out on a true opportunity to make change. This is what happened right after Floyd was murdered. This is what was shared from the Minneapolis Police Department. 
two officers arrived and located the suspect. The male believed to be in his 40s in his car. He was ordered to step from his car after he got out. He physically resisted officers. Officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. Officers called for an ambulance. He was transported to Hennepin County Medical Center by ambulance where he died a short time later. That is the text. And if that's all that I knew of the text, there is no wrongdoing on the police's part. It's just a medical issue. But you see, there's another text that has changed everything. Darnella Frazier, a 17-year-old who held up her cell phone to show the raw text of what really happened. Her video, it's strikingly different from what Minneapolis police reported. Now, her video, it may have focused on Derek Chauvin and shown light on the darkness of his deeds, but her videos also shown light on a system where a report would be written hours later that said that the man was just in medical distress. We cannot forget the darkness that a text was given to the public that was a lie. If we just rely on our memories, we would have forgotten the larger text that showed not just a bad officer, but a broken system. We're taught in Judaism not to look away from the darkness and the pain, but to embrace it, because that is the only way change can occur. Now, this, this is a core concept in Judaism, that you must go into the darkness and look at the darkness, and only then can you squeeze light from that darkness. Now, this idea is built into the fabric of Judaism. On Passover, just 27 days ago, we began the story with talking about the pain and the bitterness and the tears. We consumed horseradish to make sure that it was not an intellectual exercise, but a physical sensation of pain. We dipped that parsley in salt water to remember what it is like when you cry so hard, your tears, they reach your tongue. And that saltiness is a reminder of the depths of sadness. And this, this is how we begin our Seder. But if I asked any of you, what is Passover about? The answer is freedom. Because we embrace the darkness and we move through darkness, we take that narrative and we squeeze light out of it. And then we joyously yell, next year in Jerusalem. And we celebrate freedom. Passover, it's a holiday about celebrating freedom, but we can only do that if we know the truth of the whole story. In Israel, we just commemorated Yom HaShoah, remembering the six million killed in the Holocaust. But that was not the whole story, because then a week later, the tears flowed in Israel, remembering all of the people killed in defending and creating the state of Israel that would protect the Jews from never being exterminated again. And it was only then, after staring the painful truth in the face and marinating in the darkness, that as the sun sets on Yom HaZikaron on that Memorial Day, that fireworks are then launched into the sky to celebrate Yom HaTzmut, the independence of Israel. You cannot celebrate the light of Israel without being in the darkness of the journey that came before. Yes, 
Passover was 27 days ago, but we're not done journeying. We are journeying to Sinai for day 49, and they are inextricably linked from darkness to freedom to mission. Sinai was where we got the Torah and told us where we were going, both ethically and morally in the world. One cannot stop at celebrating that they are free from Egypt. One must continue forward to Sinai to see the grander picture of how you change the world into a place of morality and ethics. When I was my kid's age, Rodney King was beaten and no one was convicted. And now my kids see this in their generation and they see a conviction. We are headed in the right direction, but we're not at Sinai. We're not there yet. We are marching in the right direction. We as a nation would be remiss if we thought we had succeeded. We haven't. Accountability was served, but we're not at justice yet. Good police officers stood up and explained in court that what Chauvin had done was wrong. And the police department had issued a statement covering up a murder. And the police chief stood up against his own officer. All are true. And we have a long way to go. But we will only get to a place of light if we can squeeze everything we can out of this darkness. Can you hear us?